We just read Daniel 10, and um, I want to, uh, if you want, you can open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. It is the second Sunday of Advent, like we talked about, and I got to tell you, it is really good to be back. I have, I have missed worshiping with you all. Um, we had a wonderful time in the, in the U.S. visiting family and having a real American Thanksgiving, but it is good to be back. Um, you know, the passage that we read from Daniel by itself seems a little odd, right? There's, there's this man, and he's telling him about the Persians and how he's going to go fight him. And, and let me just, I want to encourage you, um, this week and next week, especially if you've been here in recent weeks for the Daniel series, as we've gone through the book of Daniel, we've seen over and over again how God has tried to comfort Daniel and the other Israelites in exile. And, and this takes place in between sort of Daniel um, 5 and 6, before the end of Daniel's life, when he's living in Babylon and trying to figure out why God is not saving. You know, last week, if you were here, Matt talked a little bit about this as well, these times of uncertainty when we're just sort of waiting for God to do something. And, and this, this vision Daniel has scares him, and he gets really concerned. And this is the response we had from the, the reading of Daniel was God comforting him and telling him to be strong. And if you continue to read Daniel 10, 11, and 12, which we'll reference again next week as well, it's God telling his servant Daniel to, to keep going because I'm doing things. And he mentions it here and at the end of our verses we read where he says, hey, I'm going to go fight the Persians. And then after that, the Greeks are coming. And then if you keep reading, he keeps talking about what he's going to do and then eventually leading to a kingdom that will never end. See, the book of Daniel has been pointingly or constantly pointing to God and how God is in control and God will one day reign and solve the things that make us ask why. And each year... Each year, I love this time of year because we take four weeks to prepare for the ultimate sign that God would do this thing in Advent, the coming of Christ. The event that is sort of like God showing us, hey, here is the most important piece to this everlasting kingdom. Here is the most important thing you need to know about my kingdom for eternity. And so tonight and tomorrow, or next week, excuse me, we're going to look at John chapter 1 which is maybe the most important piece of scripture that talks about who this Jesus was. And it really clears some things up for us. So we're going to go ahead and read um, the first half of John's prologue, as they call it, his introduction to his gospel. We'll read John chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. And it's on page 587 in your Bibles, uh, if you want to have it. Um, And it's also on the screen. So it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And there came a man who was sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and through, and though the world was not, or though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that 
which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Now, next week we'll read the second half, but this, along with a wonderful passage in Colossians, gives us a really, really great picture of who Christ is and why he's so important. And in John's prologue here, it's sort of this poetic, sort of a wordy description. It's, I'm sure for those in, in the Greek, it was much more smooth. In English, it's sort of an odd way to phrase it. But it's an introduction to this life of Jesus. And, and the Gospel of John, if you read it, is actually really fascinating. It's different than the other three synoptic Gospels, as we call them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, John, he, his Gospel was most likely wrote a little bit later than those other ones. John has a very different view of Christ, often called Christology in English, like how you view and see Christ. And he actually starts his book by telling us the thing that usually isn't revealed till much later in the story. I mean, he starts out basically saying that Christ is God, that Christ was the Son of God, and that Christ has been around since the beginning. You know, it's sort of like ruining the end of the story, right? He, he tells us at the very beginning of his gospel, this is the lens you need to read this. If you're going to read the gospel of John, if you're going to read the stories that he writes down, and especially the second half of his book, which is dedicated to one week in Jesus' life, we need to know John chapter 1 first. And that as we read through his gospel, we would read through all of these stories and the parables and the things Jesus said and ponder them through this lens that he was the Word. And the Word was God. And then later on in the gospel of John, I have it up here on a slide as well. It's from chapter 20. Uh, these, that's after these. Yep. This is the purpose as well that he says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he sort of starts out his gospel by saying this thing we're going to talk about, and that the purpose is, is that we would have life. And so let's just go through these first 13 verses in light of what we've been reading and studying in Daniel and think about what we can really learn for this Advent season. So verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, that word, Word, in English, many of you will be familiar with this. Um, I, I don't often like to talk about Greek and Hebrew and stuff, but it, it's, it's, it's the word logos. And, and it can mean, you know, a proclamation, a statement, a message. And in the beginning, right, what does that make us think of? Genesis 1. In the beginning, it's clearly an allusion to Genesis 1 that John is using, and another way of sort of saying, not just in the beginning, but, but, but forever. Since, since the beginning of time, this has been how it's been, right? So it's not just in the beginning, okay, right then at the beginning. It's, saying, it's, it's like a poetic way of saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? At the beginning of all things. And in the same way, John is saying, it's a clear illusion that this word he's talking about, this, this thing he's mentioning here, is at the beginning. That this word was with God, and that the word was God. 
that God's statements, his words, the things he proclaimed, let there be light, all of the things that since started and since then, the thing he proclaimed to Daniel to be strong, the things he proclaimed to Joshua, right? Be strong and courageous. All of the things God has said and all of this stuff that encompasses the word has been with God since the beginning. And then in verse 2, we find out that the word of God is not just this outpouring of God, but it's actually a person. It's actually a personhood. He says that he was with God in the beginning. He. It uses a different word to basically say, hey, there is this other entity besides God. There is this thing that the word is, and it is its own entity. John equates the word of God with a person, with Christ. And he is saying here that Christ was not only with God in the beginning, but he's been involved in all of this since the beginning. See, see, many people sort of think, and actually if you ask them, who maybe don't study scripture or maybe aren't as you know, familiar with this, would think that Christ was part of the created order. That maybe Christ was the first thing ever made, but, but Christ was still created, right? That Christ was something that God sort of came up with along the way. And, and John says that's not the case. This is absolutely essential to us, for us to understand in our theology as Christians, right? That there was a person of Christ at the beginning of time. Jesus Christ was not something God just thought up after the fall and thought, okay, well, now we'll do the Trinity. Okay, so now we'll just do the Trinity and figure out. God didn't just think of this as, as, as a result of the Old Testament and just come up with Jesus. Right? This was something that God always is and was and forever will be. That it has an identity. It's independent. And John is saying this word is God and it's also Christ. And there's no mistaking that there are two separate entities that are one. And then in verse 3, 4, and 5, he says, listen, not only is this word part of God, but, but there is power. The word of God, through Christ, there is great power. Through him, all things were made. So it wasn't just that it was there at the creation, that Jesus was there at the creation, but it was through the power of God and Christ together that all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made, and in him was very life. And that life was the light of men and the light that shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not understood it. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians when he talks about wisdom. He says that the wisdom of God is like foolishness to the world. This is what he's talking about. The light shines in the darkness. Ever since the beginning, Christ has been shining. Ever since the beginning, God has been showing his goodness. And yet the darkness has not understood it. The darkness of the world has not understood the personhood of Christ, the word of God. And then in 6, 7, and 8, he adds to his prologue the importance of John the Baptist. I love John the Baptist, and I wish we had time to talk about him. Maybe after. But then after his little thing on John the Baptist in 6, 7, and 8 about proclaiming Jesus and proclaiming this light, he gives us even more in verse 9. This is the true light that gives light to every man that was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and, through, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The very world could not exist without Christ, and yet when Christ came, the world said, we don't know you. And he came to that which was his own, 
but his own did not receive him. But, verse 12, yet all who did receive him, to those who do believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And what this is basically saying through some interesting language is basically this is God's gift and God's choice for us. There is nothing that that, that man can do to do this, but this is something that God bestows upon us to be his children. Next week, we're going to talk about the remainder of the prologue in, in, in verses 14 and on. But for right now, there's plenty here to talk about that I just want to encourage us with as we go forward. And the first is this, is that we must understand... And this is non-negotiable, and if this is something you have an issue with, please email me and we can talk more. This is a basic tenet of the faith of Christianity, that Jesus Christ was not part of the created order as we know it. Jesus Christ is not just a superhuman, okay? He is not just like us, but better than us, that God created at some point, that he, in fact, is fully God and fully man. And even though it doesn't make sense in our little human brains, it is truth, that we are not like Christ in this regard because we at one point were created of a man's will. We at one point were created by human will. Your parents got together at some point, whether or not they still are together, and now you are here. Christ was not made in this regard. Jesus Christ was fully God at the beginning of creation, and Jesus Christ is fully God now. And while he walked this earth, he was also fully God. That Jesus is the physical embodiment of God's word and proclamations to his created world. Think about that. All of the things God says in the Old Testament, all of the promises, all of the love, all of the care, all of the judgment, all of the law, Jesus Christ is the physical embodiment of that. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So like I said, when he said to Joshua, be strong and courageous, that is, a, that is a teaching and a fulfillment through Jesus Christ. When he tells Daniel, do not be afraid, we don't have to fear because of Christ. When God says that he will be with his people, we know that that will be fulfilled in Christ. And this is why we know also that Jesus was not just a prophet, not just a good guy or a spiritual leader. That Jesus even said this about himself. In in John 15, 16, and 17, it's what's called the high priestly prayer. And he prays for his disciples and for all believers and says, I pray that they would be one just as we are one, Father. See, some people have tried to argue this away because it just doesn't make sense. It's just too hard. You know, I I admire the Jehovah's Witnesses and their, their devotion to hand out tracts and everything. You know, but they believe uh, that, that he's like the highest of all the angels, but he's still part of the created order. You know, I had two great friends growing up who were Mormons, and, and, and Mormons are wonderful people, and, and, but they believe that he's like a spiritual brother to the devil. It's like the devil's the evil and Jesus is the good, and they're sort of hashing it out, you know, under God's lordship. And that's just not true, according to our scriptures. You know, the, the, the Islamic world believes that he is a prophet, and he was a really good guy, but he's not God. And John is very, very clearly saying here that Jesus was, in fact, God, that Jesus was, in fact, since the beginning of time, and that he is not like you and me. And I cannot overstate the importance of understanding this, and I know it's difficult to wrap our brains around, but I want to suggest something that may help. 
Do you ever think of something from when you were younger, or maybe something you just didn't understand? And then as you got older, or maybe then once you began to understand it, you realized how simple it was, and it no longer becomes an issue? You know, maybe it's as a kid you think of the car, and then you get older and you understand how an internal combustion engine works, right? You got pistons and explosions and all these things, and now you see a car and you think, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But as a kid, it's like, what is this wizardry, you know, that this, this, this big machine can go? Or airplanes. Airplanes were the craziest thing to me when I was a kid. How does this giant metal tube fly through the air? Well, then you take one science class and you learn about lift and thrust and you think, oh, okay, that makes sense. Let me suggest, let me suggest, what if we think about God? What if we think about God and we think, how in the world can this be? How can Jesus be God? And how can it be three in one? And it doesn't make any sense. And then one day we get to heaven and we're finally in community with God. And we're finally in this place where there's no sin and there's no pain and there's no, you know, things clouding our eyes, and we're finally face-to-face with our Savior as he intended us to be, and we look and we see God and Jesus together, and we say, oh, I get it. That makes sense now. What if one day when we get there, we just finally say, oh, I get it now. Don't let this be something that you have to prove. I've met many Christians in my life who really struggle with understanding that Jesus was God and God was Jesus and how that works. I'm happy to talk with anyone about it. I think you should explore and investigate it. But just like, you know, I'm never going to understand advanced quantum physics, on this earth, I'm probably never going to understand exactly how this works. But I know and trust That this is what John teaches, this is what scripture teaches, and this is what God desires us to believe. That Jesus was there in the beginning, that all things were created through him, and that he is the one who does, in fact, bring light to this dark world. And I truly believe that when we are in the presence of God for all eternity, we're going to understand. It's going to be like seeing behind the curtain and say, oh, so that's how they did it, right? First time you learn about the sawing and the half trick from a magician. Oh, that makes so much sense now. I get it. We must understand that this is the case, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Because that is what our scriptures teach. And so then, if Jesus is so different and important, why has he come? Why have we come to church? Why are we here? Why do we worship? Why do we do the things we do? Well, I would argue that through the book of Ephesians, it talks about this and other places in Scripture, that we are here to imitate God. We are here to imitate God through Christ, to fulfill these things it talks about in John chapter 1. Go back to verse 9. Look at verse 9. It says that he was the true light that gives light to every man. Christ and God desire that we would bring light to this dark world. That we would, verse 10, that we would be in the world, and even if the world rejects us, that we would still be here, that we would still be working, that we would still do everything we can, even if, as it says in verse 11, that we we were rejected like him. Because in verse 12, 
He promises us that if we do these things and if we trust in these things that we can't understand, I can't explain to you how God is three in one, it doesn't make sense. But if we do these things and we believe these things, he tells us that our faith will make us children of God. That we will be born of God. See how he says that? That we will be children born, not of natural descent. Right? This is what it says in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. When he tells him, you must be born again, Nicodemus says, well, how can I re-enter my mother's womb? And Jesus probably looked at him with just the best look. I wish I could have been there. Like, really? This is not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about physically being born again. I'm talking about becoming a child of God. To become eternal the way God made us to be. This is why all of these prophecies of Daniel are leading us to. This eternity where we spend it with Christ in fullness. Think about these things. We are here And I titled the sermon, Why Have You Come? We are here to imitate God. We are here to imitate Christ, to imitate God. I mean, we can do the things God calls us to do. We can teach the things God taught us. We can bring light to the darkness. And this is why Advent is so amazing. This is why as Christians, you know, I don't know if you knew this or not, Jesus wasn't actually born on December 25th. Um, if If anyone thought that and I just burst your bubble, I am so sorry. Um, Jesus was not born on December 25th. We celebrate it because it's the darkest time of the year. And Christians a long time ago decided that, hey, you know what would be cool? If we set aside time to look forward to the coming of Christ each year, that we would light candles with anticipation for the darkness of this world in December, that we would look forward to the light that is coming through Christ that we would have excitement, that we would have anticipation, and that as we look forward to be like him, we remember that God in all of his grandeur and all of his glory and all of his deity decided to come as an infant to this world. What's amazing to me is this study we've been doing on the book of Daniel that Matt was teaching about last week that, that we've been going through for weeks points to this over and over and over again. This was not a new idea of God. You read the book of Isaiah. This was not a new idea of God. You you read the whole Old Testament and you realize that God has had this plan in motion since the beginning of time that we would see his love and his mercy through Jesus. And the Israelites... Daniel was in exile. Daniel was living in a foreign land. Daniel was oppressed over and over and over again, no matter how hard he worked, no matter how well he did. He was constantly squashed by the Babylonian rulers. And many of us know hardship. Many of us know anxiety and pain and stress. And yet Christ calls us to this world anyways. And I look at the prologue in John. I look at the first 15, 18 verses of John, and I realize... This is what God has done for us. This is the person God sent to us. It's not just a man. Of course it's not just a man. If Jesus was just a prophet, how could he save us? If Jesus was just a good teacher, how could he save us? No, Jesus was not just one of us. God sent his very word, all of his promises, all of his goodness, all of his love to the earth to save us. And to those who believe that, to those who know that, are born into God. 
So again, the question of the sermon, why have you come? You've come to be reborn. You have come here tonight to be made in the image of your God. You have come here tonight to be filled with the light of Christ that you might go and shine it into this world. Because that is why Jesus came. And the craziest thing about this Jesus, the craziest thing about this Jesus is in John 16, he tells us that if we believe in him, that we'll be able to do even greater things. That he will give us the Holy Spirit, and through the Spirit, we'll be able to do even greater things than he did. The, the church, worldwide church, think about how many countries are represented in this room, how many different homelands, how many different people, where we'll spread around this world. We can do greater things than even Christ did when he walked this earth. We can bring more light, we can bring more justice, we can bring more love, we can bring more peace. But we must know. We must know if we're going to be doing this that God has given us this ability and it's not our own. And that Jesus, the embodiment of God's word, is all of his goodness, his declarations, all of his plan became flesh and dwelt among us that we would know how to do it. God placed all of himself into the person and the Godhead of Christ that we might know him more, that we might worship him more. All of the promises are Christ. All of the prophecies, all of the words God says to us are embodied in Christ. And this Christ was fully man. When you think about the word of God, think about how Christ fulfills all of it. And understand, we have not come to be just good people. We have not come just to do our best. You have come to this world to bring light, to bring justice, And when we look at Advent and we think of Christmas, it's fun and it's awesome and we get to spend time with family and eat sweets and all of the wonderful things that come with it. But the purpose is that we would be reminded that the word of God was with God at the beginning. And that word is the thing that exists because, or that we only exist because of that word. So tonight, as you consider, why have you come? We come to the table. Jumping ahead in the story, (laughs) we know the story of Jesus, and we know that Jesus, eventually after doing this ministry and loving and caring for others, he was betrayed, as it said, that he was rejected by the world, in fact, rejected by one of his closest friends, one of the twelve. And on that night, before he was given over to betrayal, He was having a meal with his disciples and and telling them all of these things, that he would send the Holy Spirit, that they would do great things, that he would equip them to do everything they ever needed to do. I mean, have you ever thought about that? That that Judas, he still betrayed Jesus after that whole spiel about having the Holy Spirit and that God loves him and that God is going to equip him to do great things. But even still, at that meal, Jesus knew what would happen that night. And so he took bread And to his disciples, he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. And after supper, he took a cup and he poured it out and said, this is my blood, poured out for you. And as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church, he said that every time we come to this table as the church, every time we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we are proclaiming 
Not only Christ's death and resurrection, but that Christ is the word of God and that Christ was there at the beginning and that everything exists only because of that trinity of God that we don't totally understand, but we believe. And so tonight, if you place your trust in that God, if you place your trust in that Jesus, if you place your trust in the very words of God that bring hope to a dark world, please come forward. Please come and partake of the bread and the cup as you worship and consider all of the things God has done for you. As you worship and consider the Advent season of Christ being the very light of our life. Would you please pray with me? Lord, we give you this time, for you have given us this table. And as we come before you and worship, Lord, we ask that these elements would represent something powerful in our life. Lord, that we would remember your promises. Lord, that we would believe, even though difficult, that yes, Lord, this was your plan. And that yes, Lord, one day you will reign forever. There will be no more darkness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more crying and no more tears. And Lord, now as we wait in the midst of uncertainty, we trust in you. We anticipate the coming of Christ for Advent, Lord, knowing that it is only because of Christ we are made free. Lord, thank you. May our hearts be grateful. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.